Let's go to Scotland now to visit the once mighty canals of the Industrial Revolution. The created canals allowed horse-drawn boats to carry goods, especially coal, along the waterways right into the hearts of Glasgow and Edinburgh. But with the exception of the still operational Caledonian Canal, they were neglected, filled with shopping trolleys and iron brew beer cans and rusting cars and worse. Well, now the Scots are celebrating the 200th anniversary of two of their most significant canals and the waterway and water, waterways and waterfronts are now reclaimed, restored, thriving places for people and nature. Chris O'Connell is the Heritage Manager for Scottish Canals. Hello there, Chris. Hello, Geraldine. You're fresh off um, having just been out filming for a few days, aren't you, uh, on the canals and I think you're about to go back on them. We're all rather envious, to be honest. <laughs> yes, well, it's one of the perks of the jobs, I have to say. <laughs> I can't and, believe I get paid for it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Scotland has five canals, doesn't it? Were they all part That's of that right. explosion of industrial activity in the sort of the mid-19th century on to the early 1900s? Well, not quite. They had slightly different trajectories. The Lowland Canals, which is the Forth and Clyde and the New Union Canal, was specifically built to move coal from the central belt, that is the big coal fields in the central belt of Scotland, the Caledonian Canal in the north, which was built by Thomas Telford, and we're celebrating its 200th anniversary this year, was was built as um, a piece of infrastructure to open up the highlands to stimulate trade, commerce. Um, it was required by the Royal Navy at the time, the fishing industry. So that had a slightly different intent. And it was also to staunch the flow of emigres from Scotland. It was after the hiding clearances. Lots of the local communities were um, upping sticks and moving to a place like Canada, for instance. And and Thomas Telford said, well, if we, if we build this canal, we'll furnish employment, uh, industry and trade. So that was the Caledonian Canal. The Lowland Canals, as I say, were specifically to transport this fossil fuel from the Central Belt into the, the growing populace of um, Edinburgh and Glasgow. And then there is, of course, the Crinning Canal. We mustn't forget that. It's the shortest canal. Um, we call it the most beautiful shortcut in the world. And that's over in the west in Argyll. And that was, again, just a, a shortcut across treacherous waters to allow the fishing fleets to access the the shoals of herrings. Mm. Um, and it was the lowland canals that fell into di- into disrepute, wasn't it, that became decrepit? It was. That, yes, there was three. The Monklands Canal, which now isn't much left of it, a lot of it got infilled when the motorway was built through Glasgow. Um, there are still stretches of water, but it's it's not navigable in that sense. Mm. Still very pretty, but not navigable. But the Forth and Clyde Canal, which was the earliest canal built in 1790, really kicked off the industrial revolution. The, the coal was needed to power the steam engines, to power the industry, and all of that grew up on the um, banks of the canal within a short space of time once the canals were opened. And then the, well, the people of Edinburgh, let's say, got a bit jealous, all the coal going to Glasgow. so. They got in on the act and built a canal from Edinburgh to Falkirk, which is midway across the country, and then joined the Forth and Clyde Canal as a series of um, locks so they too could access the coal. But the coal for Edinburgh was mostly for domestic use. The, the town was expanding and the middle classes were not wanting to live in tenement blocks anymore. And um, so there was a need for domestic fuel. So there's slight, slight nuances in what the coal mm. was being used for. 
So there was this period of incredible effort and labour to build the canals. Mm -hmm. And then ironically, the railways very quickly came along. What happened to the canals? Well, the railways really sort of signalled the the death of of the lowland canals because the railways became more efficient at, at transporting goods and passengers and became quicker and the network expanded and at one point they did they did take over the canals the lowland canals were run by um, a variety of railway companies o- over the years they were outcompeted by the railways basically and and they started to fall into, into decline they had little uplift in the first and second world wars they were used as in the war effort to transport goods um, around the country and we've even got pictures of mini submarines um, patrolling along the the canals, which is must be quite a sight for for the the kids on the embankment to see a small submarine suddenly um, appear out of the the murky depths of a canal. So they had a they had a peak in the twenties and thirties and forties, but officially closed early sixties. And there was a movement to fill them in, um, but there was a counter movement, a grassroots movement of canal enthusiasts who said, "Well, hang on, you know." We lose this infrastructure in Philip. Well, that, that's it gone forever. And it was really with their their just tenacity and their efforts that built up a momentum to get the canals cleared out. And and by 2000, by the millennium, with some significant funding, European funding and government funding, well, £84 million worth of funding, the canals were cleaned out, new bridges were built, infrastructure was restored, the Falkirk wheel was built which reconnected the Union Canal with the Forth and Clyde Canal and well we've never looked back it's it's just been an incredible story of success. Maybe you could give us a specific example of the transformation um, that was achieved because you work right near a section of the canal don't you? I do our offices overlook um, the Forth and Clyde Canal a wonderful place to go to work I've got to say and just next to me I mean 12 years ago when I started there's an area just next to our offices, maybe a couple of kilometres square. It was an industrial site. It had a foundry on it, glassworks, boat building yard. All of that fell into disuse. I mean, there's the archaeology is left of that buried under the soil. And nature started to reclaim it. But also, I think you mentioned the fairies goings on. Um, that would have been the place. It's called the Clay Pits. It was an old quarry where we extracted a certain type of clay, which is waterproof and it was used mm, to line the drug canals. dealing and everything went on there wasn't it oh uh, yes yeah no it was not a place that you'd yeah you'd, you'd want to be careful if you were, you wouldn't walk through in, in the nighttime let's say and also our offices had an eight-foot brick wall around it was um razor wire around the top so that gives you an oh indication goodness. of where, where we were going to work <laughs> now it's i mean you can't believe the transformation we, we cleaned the place up with the local communities well, it's now designated as a, a local nature reserve, which is, I think, one of the only in an urban area. And what you'll see there now, now it's all cleared cleared out and we've put new paths in, there's some sculptures and a heritage trail. You're more likely to see deer, herons. Really? I've seen kingfishers darting about the bow waves of boats, picking off the insects. You'll see that, and you don't see the beer cans. <laughs> that, in short, that's and everyone that's uses it, do they? Oh, it's it. I mean, cyclists, walkers. We've got paddle boarding. We've got a fitness trail. It's absolutely buzzing with with activity. It's also a bit of an arts quarter now. We've got the National Theatre. We've got their 
dress rehearsal rooms there. We've got um, a sculpture studio, a complete 180 degree turnaround, uh, you, you know, from something that was designed to move fossil fuel is now a blue green nature corridor. Yes, it's a true. It's that true post-industrial transformation, isn't it? And I think that the beneficial effects of this have had a measurable effect. There's been a study about this um, in terms of um, the yield for people's lifestyles and well-being. You know, the word of the moment. Indeed, uh, Glasgow Caledonian University did a study some years ago and and said that the if you live within a certain distance of the Forth and Clyde Canal in Glasgow, you're your lifestyle will get better, your chances of chronic disease fall, your likelihood of drug dependency starts to to fall. So it has, as you say, it's an absolute measurable benefit mm. to the to the community. It's, a, it's health and well-being right on their doorstep. And it's also attracted lots of people that didn't know the canal was there. I mean, people have lived in Glasgow all their lives and didn't realise that there, there was this stretch of... <laughs> of canal right on their doorstep. So it's really opened up North Glasgow. It's a, it's, it's a wonderful achievement. And Chris, this year uh, you're celebrating the 200th anniversary, as you say, of the Caledonian and mm-hmm. Union canals. Um, now, the yeah. Caledonian's quite different, isn't it? And given that Saturday Extra listeners are very good travellers, you can travel on it, can't you? Um, it's a it's, it's completely different design. It is. I mean, what Thomas Telford, the genius of Thomas Telford was, I, I mean, the highlands are hard to, to, to work in. I mean, the weather's unpredictable. The, the terrain is quite difficult to get around. And what Telford done was, if you think it's called the Great Glen, I'm sure your listeners may have heard of the Great Glen, Loch Ness, um, there's Loch Oig, there's all these natural waterways at the bottom of basically a rift valley that opened up in geological time. And what Telford done was connect each of those locks, navigable locks, with a man-made canal. So there's 60 miles or so of man-made canal interspersed with all these natural waterways. Um, so you sail across Loch Ness, you come into the canal at Fort Augustus, you sail along for another 10 or 15 miles, you cross another lock and so on and so forth. So you can get from the east of the country in Inverness right to the west down by um, Fort William. So that that was his real genius stroke, if you like, was 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 to blend the man-made with the the natural waterways that were, were there already. Oh, it sounds incredibly uh, seductive, I've got to say. Can, you can travel there as a tourist, can you? Yes, yes. There's there's commercial operators that will take you on a cruise, or you can hire your own boat. And if you if you've got a bit of you need your wits about you, but you can you can sail the full length. But you've got to navigate locks, have you? You have to navigate both the natural locks and the locks, L-O-C-K-S, locks along the canal. Um, but we help our, our staff operate the um, operate the locks for you. But yes, you, you can you can just jump on at Inverness or at Fort William, hire a boat, sail your way right across the country. And, and many do. I mean, as I say, I, I was up there earlier this week. I saw an old steam puffer, must have been 100 years old, that, that sailed past with a a whole crowd of very happy-looking people on it, and um, and then just convoys of, of boats and, and lots of European travellers, well, people from all around the world, really. Well, it sounds fabulous to me, Chris. Thank you. Lovely talking to you, Geraldine. Thank you very much. And Chris is the Heritage Manager for Scottish Canals. Start dreaming. Getting in touch with ABCRN is easy. 
Join the conversation live using the ABC Listen app's call and text features.